I'm Shannon Theobald. You're listening to Big Food, Big Future, the podcast about changing our food system at scale. I am so glad you're here today, and I really hope you enjoy. I'm here with Mel Bandler. Mel is a sustainable storyteller who currently works with Fair Trade, and I'm so excited she's here today. So, Mel, do you want to tell us a little more about yourself? I'd love to. Well, firstly, Shannon, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to chat today. Uh, I have the opportunity currently to really advocate for uh, farmers and fishermen and factory workers, and that is fully through sustainable storytelling. So I have the amazing opportunity to partner with brands across the country, and by country I mean the U.S., um, who are looking to really lean into their mission, their um, their social and environmental actions, and to, to be able to consume communicate, excuse me, communicate well here, um, with both their stakeholders, so their employees, employee engagement, but also with their consumers around what they're doing to drive impact um, throughout their supply chain and also throughout their business. And it's really exciting work to, to be able to tell that story. That's amazing. So what does sustainable storytelling mean? I, I've seen storytelling around so much and I realized I don't actually know the definition. Yeah, I wonder if it's like an ambiguous thing like sustainability where it kind of is moldable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, For me, sustainable or storytelling is um, beyond just marketing and communications. It's the idea that um, you're kind of building a brand voice and a brand mission. And so the storytelling is how you weave all those pieces together of the actions that you're taking, the operations that your business has, and how you communicate that, again, like I said, to all of the stakeholders, um, both internal and external. And so um, to me, it's storytelling because it's not necessarily always just to you know sell a product. Um, it's really to engage at a deeper level with all of the different actions that your organization is taking. Mm, 100%. Yeah. So what are the key points you most often hit when storytelling about sustainability? What do you find really resonates when building that story? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I would say that what is really important is to think about what, um, you know, two things, what the outcomes are, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Um, Oftentimes, there's a lot of focus around outputs and thinking about, oh, well, we donated this many computers, for example. But potentially, the reason that you donated computers is because you were trying to improve access to education. And so being able to really think about what the message that you're actually trying to do, but also what impact you're trying to have, and then making sure to to tell that story effectively. And so I think um, what I often have the opportunity to focus on is really um, the framing and the thinking about what's most important for that business. So if we're talking about a food company, you know, maybe their mission is to improve uh, hunger or nutrition access throughout their whole value chain. And so um, that storytelling can be how by purchasing this chocolate bar, that's actually helping children in West Africa where the cocoa came from to to have better access to nutrition. And so um, what does that whole product journey look like? And how do you um, define that story? Hmm. That's so interesting. See, I wonder where you, you have must have to have such precision with that because I know that I forget what the theory is called, but there's some um, theory that says people don't uh, emote in the same way about things that they recognize as not immediately uh, problems to them. 
And I know that that's a big problem with sustainability in general. I see that in in my work. But um, how do you keep these stories from being like, say, a a sad ad on TV you see at Christmas (laughs) that you're just like, ah, I can't watch this. You know Um, what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So I I think that that's totally spot on. And I think there's really the idea of being tangible and accessible. Um, And so when we think about sustainability, it's super nebulous. You know, it's kind of still ironically similar to what I studied in college, which is called public health. And so public health literally touches everything. It could be like the water that's coming out of our tap to the building that's getting built down the street from me. Mm -hmm. And so when thinking about sustainability, I think that um, what's really successful is making it un- like very much accessible. And I, I, I really appreciate, you know, I had the opportunity to be a teacher for a year and thinking about how to, to teach the middle or to communicate with the middle as a teacher is something that I've really taken into how I help brands communicate and, and message because, you know, you're going to have an expert, you're going to have somebody who really knows zero and like, or maybe below zero. I don't know. It's not a topic that they're familiar with. And so it's really important to be able to address everybody if that's your goal or to, to try and at least make it accessible um, to everyone. And so I think one strategy that I've seen proven successful is instead of, you know, maybe you could talk about biodiversity and that's something that everyone understands like you know the symbiosis and how plants and animals and humans all interact but maybe if you get into the nitty-gritty and you talk about virgin forest and you talk about the the soil health and this and the the levels of ph in that soil that's a little bit too technical for somebody who's really just trying to figure out like whether or not they're doing good by the environment um and so i think it's having that framing and just really thinking about like you know, when I go to the supermarket, again, I'll give an example here, right? Um, it's easy to say, well, I want to do good. So um, I don't want to pot- potentially support a company that is outwardly doing bad. And so if we see that a company is saying, oh, well, I'm, you know, replanting coffee trees, or I know that I'm protecting coffee um, biodiversity, the ecosystem. So they're intercropping, they're, um, that wouldn't be on packaging, but this is a broader example, I guess. Um, but or we say that this for every purchase of this bag of coffee, we're going to um, contribute to a school in the community. That's a definite positive impact. And even just having that positive correlation um, is something that has been pretty successful with um, different partners or in general. You know, um, oftentimes I work at Fairtrade. We see that people know and have this connotation of Fairtrade being good, but they might not be able to give you a full definition of what the model is and what it means. But just by that association with positivity, um, it goes a long way. And I think that that's similar with kind of brand messaging. And I'm definitely all about transparency, and I don't want people to just say they're doing good to to try and ride that good wave. Um, but I think that. Long story short, um, when you make things tangible and people understand them, it, it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, and I'm not sure if this is uh, your expertise, so it's totally cool if it's not, but I wonder what impact does sustainable storytelling have on customers' price sensitivity? So like how much wiggle room do you have to maybe increase SRP, if you have that kind of good feeling associated with it? So good feeling, I wouldn't say necessarily correlates to a higher SRP. However, what I do think it goes a long way or would allow that extra margin is 
I guess two things. One would be a certification because it's third party verified that you're not just mm-hmm. doing good because you think you're doing yeah. good, but somebody yeah. else is like, yes, we confirm that they are doing what they're saying they're <laughs> doing. Um, Cause I think one of the, again, why I, I really appreciate storytelling as more of a holistic perspective. Um, when we think about marketing, right? For me, when I hear the word marketing, you're marketing a product and it's in theory, like right to sell it further. And so oftentimes flowery copy gets very highly promoted and SEO utilized just so that people can say that they're doing good and there's nothing behind it. And so I think what um, is really relevant to think about is third party opportunity. So working with a fair trade, with a B Corps, with uh, a non-GMO um, or, or anyone really, it could be uh, climate neutral to, to say that you're following through on what you say you're doing. But obviously there is a cost uh associated with that. The second thing I think is being super transparent. You know, we live in a digital age. And one thing that especially 2020 has brought to the forefront is that people are doing research on the products that they're purchasing, whether that be consumable or Mm non-consumable. And it's one thing to say that you're sustainable, and it's another to really show proof of that. And so um, there's tons of like third-party vendors that are doing supply chain mapping and that are doing actual follow-through. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a certification, but I think actually demonstrating and showing proof, unfortunately, is the word I'm going to use of what you're doing or like being able to tell that story. And so one example I can think of is you know, maybe you're not a third party certified um, protecting the oceans uh, apparel company, but you have a video on your website that shows the factory and how not. O- and again, this could be a spot situation. So not saying that the whole thing is OK, but you show that the, the factory is very, you know, there's enough, there's exits, there's a lot going on that is protecting the workers and the workers seem happy. But also where I was going with this, which I guess is maybe a bad example, um, is that you can see that there is engagement um, and a direct uh, transparency and interaction um, where, you know, if you're doing supplier visits or you're doing things where you actually know your supply chain, it's way easier to talk about them. But when there is a total like murky gray area between production and like end shelf life, Um, I think that's kind of where people run into a lot of issues. And so when you can present that and say like, hey, we do actually know who our importer is. Hey, we do actually know who our factory is. Hey, we do know who our processor is. Um, It goes a long way. Yeah, that makes complete sense. How do you recommend to clients uh, using their real estate, I guess would be the term, to communicate all of that? Is it all on packaging? And how impactful is storytelling on packaging specifically versus on a company site, for example? Yeah, well, packaging real estate is very prime, you know, waterfront real estate. And I think (laughs) that it's very important to, let's say, show your top three things on your packaging. I do think that there is an opportunity to highlight, you know, one or two sentences. Definitely, if you have a certification, you want to have that on your front of pack because um, if it's on a shelf or even if it's a photo on a a digital shelf page, um, you're not they're not going to be flipping it over and looking at all the photos to find that. Um, But I think that what is really exciting is that um, if your brand, again, this goes back to that brand voice and that brand mission, it should be something that's really embodied throughout your whole um, MO and what you're doing. And it shouldn't just be a thing, again, for marketing. And so I really like to use Alter Eco as an example. Are you familiar with the chocolate company, Alter Eco? Yes. 
Cool. Well, they're a Bay Area um, company. And for those who don't know, I, I think they're a great example because they are fair trade. They really are passionate about the environment and they actually just launched a foundation to dig a little bit deeper into that and really support um, regenerative agricultural practices. But they have compostable packaging. They they really use their um, packaging to talk about their commitment to the cocoa farmers as well as the environment. And I think that while they don't have a lot of real estate again on that packaging, because it's what their whole brand stands for, it's way easier to communicate that to the consumer. And so it is a part of their packaging, but it is very much also present on their website. And, you know, if they ever do any promos, it's also what they're focusing on. And so for me, I always kind of speak to brands, whether that be a retail partner or a brand. Um, and I say to take a step back and I say, you know, what do you actually stand for? And like, what are you trying to to accomplish? You know, some people could tell me it's really just to sell this bottle of water. But other people are looking to, you know, improve the actual access to potable water or they're thinking about how we can make it so communities are healthier or whatever that may be. And then I try and empower them to figure out how they should best communicate that. Sometimes it is on their website. Sometimes that's through thought leadership. Um, and then sometimes it is on the packaging. And I, I think it is important because that final product is what a, a consumer is going to touch and be interacting with directly. It's important to have that messaging there. Um, but you have to make it super succinct and you want to be able to be impactful and powerful and really get your message across um, with, again, probably on package, like max, I would say four sentences, probably more likely one to two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, um, how do you embody all that your brand is and communicate it simply through like what you see? Um, like kind of the the packaging, the branding has to do more lifting than just the words that are on it, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think the advice that I always give is that authenticity and transparency really do go a long way. Like you shouldn't say that you're socially and environmentally conscious if you're just trying to engage with the conscious consumer. It should be something mm. that's part of your brand. Um, and then it goes that much further and you're going to build trust with your shoppers. You're going to build loyalty. And then it doesn't necessarily have to be explicitly outlined as a textbook on your packaging because consumers know that when they buy your product, that's what it stands for. Hey there. First, I just wanted to say I am so happy you're here joining us today. Thank you for being here. And secondly, I wanted to let you know that if this episode is piquing your interest, I would love to talk more with you one-on-one -on -one about your individual business and needs. I provide consulting services for key stakeholders in the alternative protein space. And we talk about everything from branding to international expansion to growth strategy. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in, check out shannontheobald.com or email me directly at shannongtheobald at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And okay, I'll let you get back to the episode now. We've talked a lot about small brands, but I, I know you've worked with some large companies too. Maybe let me know, is it as a liaison between the smaller brands and large companies? How does uh, working with the bigger guys work? Yeah, um, so 
that's a great question. I think that um, what's really exciting about bigger brands is that they have a huge scale. And generally speaking, they have a larger budget. And so there's a lot more room to do some funner, th- mm-hmm. more fun <laughs> things. And um, I think that there's a couple examples that come to mind, um, but I'm actually going to speak to them because they, I think, really embody how the both that kind of budget and broadness really goes a long way. And so um, a partner had the opportunity to actually create some videos and really go to origin with like a professional um, crew and get a much more direct footage and personalized content opportunity than um, just creating some assets or creating some copy. And I think that that investment was large up front, but the engagement and the visibility that gave to their supply chain and then to their consumers as a result of it um, has really, really resonated uh, throughout their whole organization, throughout their consumer base. And um, it's given them the opportunity to to prove and, and build that trust and show that that's something that they are passionate about because when they actually went and visited, um, you know, the beginning of their supply chain, they didn't just visit and take footage, but they also really interacted with the community. And they, they, there's something, I guess, to take a step back that I think goes a long way to say, again, knowing like who's behind door number three. So when you are doing your supplier vettings and you are talking about kind of going back in the supply chain, it's interesting to know that there's so many people that are touching the product before we as the consumer get it. Um, but when you have those supplier relationships and when you really you know, have that personal interaction, it, it, it helps you tell that story so much better. And so being able to actually take the buyer and to show them like, here is where your, your coffee is coming from and here's what this means. And then having them go back to the United States and say, okay, so like, how do we get the consumers to know that experience every morning when um, they brew their coffee? And so it was not only having that footage, they did some Facebook lives, but they, they had like coffee growers actually speak themselves and it really created that connection. Um, this is an extreme example. I, I don't recommend that every large brand go to origin <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> interact directly with farmers. But what I'm trying to say is, at, that impact is possible because not only are they able to drive more impact because their volume is probably higher, um, it also got a little bit more eyes than a smaller brand's uh, you know, engagement would be, which I think is really exciting. But they're totally different you know, uh, interactions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are the main disconnects you see in storytelling from both larger larger guys and smaller guys, uh, do they tend to have the same uh, missteps or are, are there any just common fixes that you implement? Yeah, um, I think they, the, the commonalities and um, I think one of the reasons that I get really excited about storytelling is I've been very, very lucky and blessed to have the opportunity to live abroad and to interact with a lot of different cultures. And as a result, I speak many languages. And I think what that affords me is the opportunity to think about things from very varied perspectives and how different messages really resonate or are absorbed or are thought about by different people. And so one thing or one miss that I think is a commonality, whether you're a small or a large brand, is really thinking that something is super clear or super concise or makes a lot of sense for everybody or even for a certain demographic and just misses the mark completely because there wasn't a certain group that was represented in that decision-making process. And so um, I've seen this across the board, but 
whether the, the information was too simplistic or way too complex in both directions, um, there's just an opportunity to, to really know your audience and to think about how you can best communicate with them. And um, pretty, pretty basic, but I, I think it still happens all the time. Um, I think what's really exciting about smaller brands is that there is an opportunity to really have a devoted and loyal following in a way that might not be as possible for a larger brand, because I feel like there's more of a personal connection. And, you know, maybe you're a small brand, but you're still sold nationally and you have maybe, I don't know, 5,000 stores of a national chain that is carrying your product. Sometimes when they think that Shannon is the owner and Shannon is the person that's responding to their, you know, DMs, they still feel that there's this personalization in a way that a large scale brand where there's a million employees mm -hmm. and they, <laughs> they don't have that connection. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that just builds a level of trust that a, a larger brand has a little bit more difficulty attaining. And so I think the, the difficulty or the exciting challenge for a larger brand is that their, their authenticity and that trust relationship and the confidence within them really has to be with um, proven data or proven openness and transparency. And so, um, you know, everyone kind of has to start from the bottom and build that foundation. And you can't just assume that people trust you. And it's very important that there, if there is a breach of trust, you know, some kind of article comes out or anything of that nature to, to be pretty direct in addressing it. And I think one myth that I've seen is where something like that happens and then the brand doesn't address it. And then it, it only, you know, goes down from there for consumer trust and excitement about purchasing those products. Have you seen consumers who have not traditionally bought sustainable products drawn in by sustainable storytelling specifically? Or um, is your focus when creating these messages mostly toward existing sustainable consumers to convert them into shopping this one particular brand? That's an amazing question. So both. Um, I will say Obi's goal is to keep existing customers. We, we want that retention. Um, yep. You don't want to lose yep. them. <laughs> but I think what's really exciting about storytelling is it is a definite opportunity to build a consumer base. And what I find is that when you are um, engaging in a way that, again, is speaking their language and really makes it tangible a lot more broader, not necessarily sustainable shoppers, we'll say, are interested in learning more. And so what we see is that, um, you know, 2020 was a crazy year and it really brought us all closer together because of this uniform experience. And so as an example, with that, people are really looking towards social and environmental well-being within the products that they're purchasing, you know, who made it, how is it made, where is it coming from? And when you can explain that and get to the the shopper who is kind of skeptical or who thinks that it doesn't really matter um this is a time where they're actually thinking about those things and it's more than just them you know purchasing a literal object and so what i think is very exciting is um the opportunity to explain potentially why a sustainable product costs okay not literally say hey here's why this product costs more but i think to say like here is what's going on behind this product. And when you understand this story, maybe you would consider buying this hazelnut spread compared to the, the typical hazelnut spread that you mm -hmm. do purchase because there's something more to it than um, just the, the product that you know and love and grew up with as a kid. And so I think what's really exciting is that we're at an inflection point in my perspective where there's a lot of um, 
upheaval or uh, that's the wrong way of saying reinvention for for new and more sustainable versions of a lot of products that we know and love. And um, there's an opportunity to really explain why, you know, in the past it was all about, oh, shifting to organic. And I feel like organic is kind of mainstream and everyone knows what that is and why it's valuable. And so now there's an opportunity to, to build beyond that and say, okay, so it is organic. We are potentially protecting pollinators and we're not using pesticides, but beyond organic, there's so much more at play and it's so multifaceted when you are producing a good, especially at a global scale. Um, And this is why this is important. And there is definitely room to, to convert those, those holdouts, whether they be because they're a baby boomer or because they just weren't somebody who was thinking <laughs> about this in the past. 100%. All right. Well, listen, y'all, if you need someone to convince those boomers, you know who to come to. <laughs> so Mel, where can everyone best find you to reach out and learn more? Yeah, um, I would say I'm super active on LinkedIn. So definitely feel free to reach out there. Sweet. I'll link that. All right. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.